Good morning. Hi, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> and you're here, so you made it through daylight savings. Good job. Oh, I'm so glad to be back this morning. Today, we're going to try and continue this discussion that we started last week, um, asking the question, who is God? But before we get there, I feel like I really need to pray. So please join me. Heavenly Father, we come before you again, and we lift our voices in praise to you, and we come before you humbly asking that you would guide and direct, that your words would be heard, not mine, that you would move, your Holy Spirit would fill us and lead us today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we started talking last week um, about this question, who is God? And I mentioned that it's not an easy question to answer. Uh, I think this is a question that we could spend our whole lives exploring and even then not fully comprehend the answer. But as I mentioned also last week, uh, there are many things in throughout Scripture that say that while we can't understand him fully, he wants relationship with us. Now, I'm guessing that many of you have heard the story of the blind men who wanted to see the elephant. Uh, I think we've got a picture to put up there. Yeah. So they come up to this elephant and they start touching him, trying to figure out what is this thing that we've heard of called an elephant. And one guy touches the elephant's side and says, oh, an elephant must be like a wall. And the other one touches the trunk and says the elephant's like a snake. And there's a third guy, and he feels the elephant's leg, and he says, no, 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 this elephant is like a tree. And another one feels the elephant's ear and says it's like a great big fan. There's a fifth guy, he touches the elephant's tusk. He says, no, no, the elephant is like a spear. And then there's another guy who grabs onto the elephant's tail and says... With great confidence, no, you guys are all wrong. The elephant is like a rope. Now, each man saw a part of the elephant, but none of them saw the whole. Their blindness made them incapable of comprehending the whole thing. And even when they compared what each one saw with the other man, they were unable to really fully imagine the form of the elephant. Now, there are aspects of God that are so far outside of our human experience that, like those blind men, we will always be incapable of comprehending them. But, like I said, that's not to say that we shouldn't try, that we shouldn't try to gain a more complete understanding of his personality and character. We're actually much better off than those guys because God wants us to know him. The amazing, fantastic truth is that God wants a relationship with us. And he went to great lengths to make that possible. Now, last Sunday, I asked each of you to spend some time during the week observing the world around you and ask the Lord to show you aspects of his character through your daily uh, activities, the things you observe. And I challenge you to spend some more time with God. Because just like spending time with other people allows us to get to know them better, spending time with the Lord provides us with greater insight into his character. I'm hoping 
that some of you were able to do that this week and that you are willing to just maybe shout out some of your observations that you, that you gained through, um, through the week, things that you figured out about God. And hopefully the online folks are um, sending in some answers, and I will share those with the group as well. So does anyone have anything that they observed this week in their daily activities that brought them closer to God? Anyone? Anyone? He's steady. steady. Someone online said he's holy, righteous, and creative. I'm sure there's lots of things that, that as you look back on your week or you look ahead to the week to come, you could see God's character and his personality just in the world around you. I want to tell you something I observed this week. I was listening to music throughout the week, as I often do, and I started thinking about how music allows us to express the full range of emotions, from joy to anger to sorrow, everything in between. And I thought about how God created music, and then he gave us creativity to be able to make our own music. And then I thought about how, you know, there's really just a handful of musical tones and we turn those into great symphonies and things that make us feel and move. And yet, music is not a necessary part of life, contrary to what many people might say. Now, the conclusion that I came to about the God who created music and gave us the ability to create and enjoy our own music, is that first, he himself is extremely creative. And second, he knows that the richness and beauty of music adds immeasurably to our lives, and he wanted to bless us with that. And while it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with some of these other key attributes of God that we find in Scripture, I also concluded that God loves music. I mean, you think about it. There are so many examples throughout Scripture of people worshiping God with music and singing and instruments. And nature itself makes music. Scripture says that. The rocks and the trees cry out in music and song. And did you know that the planets and objects in space make their own music? If you don't believe me, just Google space sounds and then fall down that rabbit hole for a few hours. It's pretty amazing, really. Now, last week I mentioned how a large portion of what we can learn about God comes from Scripture. And today I'm going to focus on two key passages uh, that give us a clearer understanding of who God is. The first one is Psalm 103. Now, the Psalms are full of descriptions of God's character and his work in creation and in our lives. And Psalm 103 is an awesome example of this. So I've asked Pastor James to come up and read the psalm to us. And as he reads, I want you to think and try and pinpoint some of the various attributes of God that are described within. Psalm 103. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. 
My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels. You mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commandments. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Thank you, James. That's a pretty extensive list. According to the psalmist, God forgives, he heals, he redeems. He provides faithful love, compassion, good things. He's righteous. He's just. He reveals himself to his people. He is gracious. He is patient. He overflows in love. He is merciful because he doesn't hold a grudge or punish us according to our sins. Though he is eternal, he doesn't forget that we are mortal and our lives are fleeting. He's faithful and loving. He is the king over all creation. He is worthy of the blessings and the praise of all creation. And all that comes in just one psalm. I'm going to talk briefly about a few of the key attributes that come up in this psalm. I'm going to focus on just five of these qualities. God's kingship, also known as his sovereignty. His righteousness. His justice his love, and his mercy. Obviously, that's not an exhaustive list, but I think it's a good start. And I would encourage you to kind of do some of your own study about God's attributes. And if you have questions about where to start, you can come to me or Pastor James, and I'm sure we can point you in the right direction. So first, God's sovereignty. To say that God is sovereign is to say that he is king. God is the ruler over all, and there is no one higher. He reigns over the entire universe, and nothing is outside of his power and control. His plan is perfect, and it will not be thwarted. At the same time, in his sovereignty, God allows us the freedom to choose how we will participate in his plan. This means that we can say either yes or no to his gracious offer of salvation. But make no mistake, God's will shall be done on earth and in heaven. 
In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul gives a speech to the people of Athens. He tells them about the sovereignty of God, and in verses 24 through 28, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Everything we have, including our very existence, comes from God. And as sovereign ruler of the universe, he deserves our worship, our allegiance, our praise, our adoration. Next, God is righteous. What does that mean to say that he is righteous? Put it simply, it means that God is right in all he does and all he is. He is the standard against which all else is measured. His rightness is not situational. It never changes, meaning that what is right for us is not affected by circumstances or time. All that is right in the entire universe has its origin in him. The laws found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament are reflections of God's righteousness. Out of the hundreds of scriptures that talk about the righteousness of God, here are just a couple of examples. Psalm 71:19 says, Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens, you who have done great things. Who is like you, God? And Psalm 119, 137, and 38 say, You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. In Deuteronomy 6, 25, after Moses presented the laws to the Israelites, he said to them, If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Moses knew that the law was a reflection of God's righteousness and the standard that he expected from his people. And today, we are made right through faith in Jesus, who by his grace covers us with his perfect righteousness. God's justice. Because God is perfectly righteous, he is also perfectly just. These two aspects of his character, I think, go hand in hand. God's righteousness ensures that his justice will always be good. He can never be corrupted or fooled because he knows all and he sees all. God alone will judge the world, and he will do it in such a way that is perfectly fair. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all stand before the, the Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve, for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. The ultimate judgment will take place after Christ returns to establish his kingdom, and every verdict will be exactly what was deserved. God's love. 
1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love and that all love comes from him. Without God's love, we would never be able to love others. Scripture tells us over and over that the love of God for us is so great. Verses 9 and 10 of 1 John 4 say, By this the love of God is revealed in us, that God has sent his one and only Son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The love that God has for the world is the reason that Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for our sins. Furthermore, God's love for us is unending and unconditional. He loves regardless of whether that love is deserved or reciprocated. In fact, God loves us before we are even capable of returning his love. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because God loves us and gives the ability to love, love is also the focus of what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God's mercy. Mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Scripture tells us that God's compassion extends to all creation, even those that don't follow him. Matthew 5.45 states, The Father causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Since God is sovereign, righteous, and just, it is definitely within his power to, to punish us for our sin. However, it's also because God has mercy toward those who accept his lordship over them that we can face his justice without fear. Just as his righteousness and justice go hand in hand, I think so also his mercy and his love. I would say that his mercy flows out of his love. Without God's love and mercy, we would have no hope because it is through God's mercy that we can receive forgiveness for sin and through the blood of Jesus. Now, I purpose in going over these character traits, which many of you I'm sure are familiar with, is twofold. First, I hope that the things we talk about today give you greater insight into who God is. But second, and probably more importantly, there are aspects of God's character that the Bible says we should emulate. There's a, a call for some kind of response from us. After all, we are made in his image. So just as God is righteous, so too are we to be righteous. Romans 6.13 says, Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Just as God is just, so also he calls for justice from us. 
Leviticus 19.15 says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. As God loves and is love, so he calls us to love others. 1 John 4, 7, and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. And just as God shows us mercy beyond our wildest dreams, so he calls us to be merciful to others. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 say, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If someone has, happens to have a complaint against anyone else, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. When we forgive, we are showing mercy. And these are just a few examples of some of the responses that God expects from his followers. They're fairly generic. They're responses that are required of anyone and everyone who wants to follow the Lord. Sometimes, though, he wants a more explicit response from us. Sometimes God calls us to a particular time and place and wants us to respond in a very specific way. There are lots of examples of this happening throughout Scripture as well. The passage we looked at last week in Exodus 3 is a very good example of God calling to Moses and asking Moses to do what he, the specific job that he had for him. 1 Samuel 3 tells the story of God calling Samuel to carry his message to the people of Israel. And most of the prophetic books in the Old Testament also tell that the prophets are called by God to do his work. Now, in the New Testament, we also see examples of Jesus calling for a response from the men he invited to be disciples. He said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and that encounter with the Lord changed his life completely. Some people might think that God is this divine watchmaker, a distant, uninterested deity who set everything into motion and then has been kind of hands-off ever since. But the picture we get from Scripture is very different from that. God has always wanted interaction with us. And when he calls, we have to choose whether we're going to respond or we're going to run away. This week, we're going to take another look at an example of God revealing himself to a person and asking for a response. And this comes out of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. 
With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from t- with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. There's a lot in that passage. We see God revealing more aspects of his personality and character to Isaiah. The vision that Isaiah has of God gives us actually a lot of God's attributes. First, he's shown to be the great king seated on the throne. The heavenly beings that surround him also tell us that God is holy and that he is glorious. And as the holy and glorious king, he is worthy of the praise and honor that they give him. Now, for those of you who have been participating in the catechumenate, you might remember that the word holy implies this sort of crushing weightiness and that glory is related to a bright, blinding light. However, God's holiness does not crush us and his glory does not blind. We see both of these truths in this passage. Isaiah saw the face of God and he lived to tell the tale. Isaiah's response to this vision of God in all his glory is probably one that, if we had our wits about us, each of us would also have in those same circumstances. He cried out in despair, woe is me. He realized that he is not worthy to be in the same room, to be breathing the same air as the Lord, because he and his people are unclean. In addition to being holy and glorious, however, this passage shows that God is merciful. When Isaiah realized the depth of his unworthiness in the light of God's glory, the Lord provided cleansing in the form of that burning coal. Finally, this passage also reveals that God wants to use us to carry out his will in the world. He gives us the choice to respond. In this passage, God doesn't say, Isaiah, I've got a job for you and you're going to do it. He also doesn't come down from his throne or send one of his many heavenly beings to go and do the job for him. Instead, he asks that question, who will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah is given the choice to participate in God's plan. And he responded saying, here am I, send me. This is a lot of information kind of thrown at you today. And information is good, but it's not where we should stop. As I said before, the study of who God is is the study of many lifetimes. It'd be easy to say, stay stuck in that information mode. 
and not go any further. However, the goal of studying scripture should not be just about gaining more information, more knowledge. Rather, our goal should always be spiritual formation. And to that end, the question we need to be asking now is, so what? What do we do with all this information that God, about who God is? Last week I said that the story of Scripture was a record of the lengths to which God went to establish relationship and restore relationship with us. And one way that he does that is by revealing himself to us and then calling us to respond in all these different ways. We are his creation made in his image. So part of that response is that we ought to be living our lives in ways that reflect his image in us. Like I said, by being merciful, by being righteous, by loving, by showing justice. Many, many other character traits that we find as well. And sometimes God calls us to something more specific, and he asks if we will go for him. And we have a choice to make. We have to decide whether or not we're going to answer that call. So the question I have for you today is, what kind of a response is the Lord asking from you? Is he calling you to be more loving or more merciful toward the people around you? Is he asking you to demonstrate more righteousness or justice in your life? Is he calling us to a specific task? I challenged you all last week to become more aware of the things around you that, that draw you to the attention of, of God's attributes. To see what you could observe from your daily activities. And this week, we're going to move beyond just observing into action. I want you, I want all of us, to ask the Lord this week, how is he calling us to respond? Where is it that he wants us to do something for him, for his plan in our lives this week? It's likely that if you ask, he'll give you something. He'll show you some area of your life where he wants you to reflect his character more. It may be that you find that God is calling you to do something specific for him. Are you willing to respond as Isaiah did? To say, here am I, send me. Whatever God is calling you to this week, I want to urge you to tell someone about it. And in doing so, to encourage and lift each other up as we strive to be more like the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, your scriptures are full of challenges to us, challenges to be more like you in many ways. And Lord, it is through your power and your Holy Spirit in our lives that we are able to do that. I pray, Lord, that this week, as we seek your direction, as we seek your word about what it is that we need to be responding to in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly. 
that you would guide us, that you would show us those areas, even if it's painful, Lord, that we need to be showing more of your attributes. And then I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to say yes, to say, here am I. Send me, Lord. Send me into your world to do your will. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to participate with you in carrying out your will. And I pray that as we do it this week, we would not forget to praise you. Because you are the king. You are the sovereign ruler of the universe. And you are deserving of all of our worship and all of our praise. We praise you now, Lord. And we say thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.